Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. How y'all doing? That backstory about his story of coming to know Jesus. Look familiar? We've been kind of hitting this, haven't we, y'all? It's time to do the old review. Here we are. So far, we've looked at what? Chaos. The power struggle. Last night, the surrender. And tonight, when we do finally give in, the glorious freedom that takes place, the freedom we can have, the life we can have, the life we can have that Jesus gives when we finally just stop trying First of all, when it comes to salvation, of trying on our own to get to God and just receive his gift, but also not just salvation, but our situation. And that's what we're talking about tonight. See, God wants to set us free and give us salvation, but he wants to help us to have the freedom in our situation. Does that make sense, you guys? If not, we're going to explain it. If so, mm -hmm, let's let it go. Here we are. What will freedom look like? if we genuinely let go of our attempts to always try to be in control. And I have a hunch some of you have been really wrestling with this during this week. I've had some decent, some good conversations with some of you. Never going to share what you share with me. But just to say, I understand that in that box, there's a lot of hurt. And again, I'm not trying to create drama. I'm not trying to create drama. Some speakers kind of go, they're really like, whoop you guys up, you know. I, I'm more chill on that. I, I also know that this is very real for a lot of us. So how do I get free of trying to always be in control? Well, it calms, you see on the screen, it calms when we surrender to let Jesus be the ultimate leader of our life. And out of that, letting him lead, then we have surrender. So here's the big question we're looking at tonight. Will we, will I, will you, will we demonstrate, that means prove, validate to affirm, will we demonstrate our surrender to Jesus through the freedom in life that he brings? You see, you'll know if I'm free in Christ because you'll see it as evidenced in my life. If I'm always like feeling anxious and I'm always like high strung and you think, dude, chill out. Well, I know God's in control, but it's like, and you're like, just slow down, cowboy. You know, if I could just, and you'll know if I have, if I'm just like wired up, I'm, 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 do you guys catch what I'm saying? Then you're like, dude, dude, do you really trust God? Oh yeah, I do, but I gotta slow down. See, we want to have, help us or, you know, process this tonight. When we truly give it to Christ, then ready, ready? Then give it to Christ. If you truly trust him, Jake, I'm just talking with this. Jake said, Jake, Trust him, trust Christ. You said period, end of the sentence. <laughs> Not trust Christ, but, right? It's like when you truly trust Jesus, just to, then trust Jesus. The problem is we want to keep going back to the box and trying to fix it ourselves. I said this last night. I didn't get a chance to really explain it. Let me take like an actual journey. I'm going to start over here. And if this, let's say this music stand right here represents me coming to faith in Jesus, like a timeline. So let me do like a timeline, like a line, left to right. So I'm going to start over here. 
I don't believe in God. There's no God. I'm role-playing, okay? I'm role-playing, all right? I do believe in God. <laughs> Just, I'm role-playing, okay, people? So here it is. I don't believe in God. And then I take a couple steps forward. Okay, plausibility for God. Maybe there is a God. Just maybe. But is there evidence? Hey, there's this author out there, has this podcast, Cold Case Christianity. Check it out. Cold Case Christianity. Very good. Another person who has apologetics. In other words, some of you guys and I were talking today. How do I know there is really a God? Well, there's good evidence for that. So just go online. Cold Case what? Christianity. There's other resources online as well. So you're thinking, okay, there's no God. Then you go, maybe there is a God. Maybe, but, but, but how many gods? Maybe there's just one God. See, I'm moving forward now. Which God do you mean? Judaism, Islam, Christianity. They're not all the same because there's contradictions between the worldviews. So some say, well, it's all the same God, different names. That, that's illogical because it's more than just a different name. They have, they, there's different views on those perspectives. And then we start to look at who Jesus is. And then we actually begin to understand and investigate the claims, the claims of Jesus, that he claimed to be God, and he backed it up with his miracles. He even said to those who began to kill him at the crucifixion, if you don't believe me, at least believe my miracles. See, his miracles continually validated gave evidence to. Matter of fact, he even said the greatest of all miracles would take place to his own enemies. They weren't his enemies. He was like, he wasn't hating on them. They were hating on him. Okay. Even to those who began to eventually torture, then kill him. They knew that he had said, I will be killed. And after how many days I'll rise again? How many? Three. So he even knew that by saying to them, he says, look, if you don't believe me, at least believe the miracles, they heard him say that on that third day, he would rise from the dead. So even after they killed him on the cross, they put Roman soldiers at his tomb, and they even said this, the authorities even said, so that his disciples, so they even recognized that Jesus said he would rise from the dead. So they put a guard there, a Roman guard, around his tomb. And if you know that story... He blew out of that tomb. And when those soldiers saw the risen Christ, it said they fell over like they were dead men. Like they were like, dude, you know? Like some kind of the Flash episode or something. They're like, whoa, you know? And they kind of got back up and they split. And even as they went to the religious leaders that had Jesus murdered to say, here's what really went down. He's alive. We saw him. They paid off the soldiers hush money. And they said, no, 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 you just tell the crowds, you know, like the news cameras, if you will, you tell the crowds that his disciples came and stole the body. There is so much evidence of the risen Christ appearing to over 500 witnesses at once. So you could maybe are beginning to understand, okay, there's evidence for, and that's just a touch, but there's evidence for the legitimacy of Christianity. And then you're coming more and more and more and more and more closer to putting your faith in Christ, but I think a lot of people stop right here. They can actually like intellectually buy it and believe it, and they'll even want to go to heaven. But they don't want to commit their heart to Jesus. And they come so close, and yet so what? So far. But for many of you, in conversations, I have heard you say that there's been that moment in your life 
when you stepped, just what Jesus taught in John's gospel, the book of John, the gospel of John, just like Jesus taught in the gospel of John chapter six, you must cross from death to life. And you've crossed over that line. And if you have, the Bible says you are now saved. You're in Christ, you're saved. So in other words, you see that again up here on the screen? What I just did was I kind of walked you through a process. Does that make sense? So yes, yes, right here. Yeah, there is that moment of the surrender flag goes up. For me, it was as a young man, my flag of surrender, when I truly gave my heart over to Jesus. Take control, be my Lord, be my master, be my savior. Save me from my sins. So there's that moment of surrender, but it seems like God has to use a lot of circumstances to kind of get my attention. And even now that I am his child, the child of God, and I am saved, as I continue to journey in the Christian life, I still seem to struggle with stuff in my own box. Is this helping you guys? So just because I come to know Jesus doesn't mean I never have any issues in life. I still have issues in life. And I still have to keep surrendering things in my life to Jesus. Here's the backstory. The song Love Broke Through was actually one of the last songs to make that this is not a test record. I didn't think it was going to make it, but of the 30 or 40 songs I was working on at the time, it sort of rose to the top when I, when I realized that this could be my song about my story, my testimony, um, when I met the king. So I started writing, put pen to paper, and, and started telling my story. And my story is kind of simple. My mom would drag us to church every Sunday, me and my three siblings. We didn't go to youth group. We just went to big church. So after church, this guy tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I wanted to go to this youth camp. And uh, he kind of you know, positioned it like it was a sports camp because he knew I love basketball and I love athletics. So I looked at my mom, and my mom, my mom was like, yeah, he can go. And I, so I signed up for this camp, and uh, little did I know what God had in store for me there. I just know that at that camp, we did get to play some sports, but what I really took away from that camp was each night, me and the five guys in my cabin would sit down on the floor, and that youth pastor, he would open up God's Word and read. And I'd really never heard God's word read that way. I don't know why it all of a sudden came to life for me. But he would read from God's word and I would get up each night and just feel like something was working on my heart. It ends up that it's the Friday night before we were gonna leave on Saturday. He read some things. I got up from the floor and walked into the other room and zipped my sleeping bag to the top. And I remember lying there for like 20 minutes, trying to push it off, trying to push it off, but my heart was beating, my heart was racing. I, I wanted to do something about what I felt inside. I finally got up the courage, and I, I remember this moment. And it's weird, because we all have that choice. Uh, I remember this moment that I unzipped that bag, and I got the courage to walk in the other room, and I woke up that youth pastor, and I said, man, I, I gotta do something about what I feel inside. And he said, what do you mean? I said. I think I want to pray. We got on our knees there, and I remember the dusty wooden floor, which is some of the lyric of the song, and I remember the bedspread that I put my elbows on, and uh, right there I asked uh, Jesus to be my Savior, to be my Lord, 
And for me, that was the day love broke through in my life. So our first need of surrender is to, re- to surrender ourselves to Jesus, to be our leader. The Bible says our Lord, our leader, and to be the great rescuer of us from our sin, to be our savior. That's the first thing of surrender. And, and maybe you're still processing through with that. It is asking yourself this question, is Jesus Christ truly my king, my leader, and my savior, my rescuer? Have you come to not just understand, here we go again, to understand but truly embrace Jesus as the only one who can forgive your sins and restore you to God. That's the first place of surrender. Once you do, please look at this. Once you do, you have a new, what's it say? A new what? A new life, ready? A new what? A new life. You're not trying to do life better or you're not trying to be a, a better person or try harder. You're a new creation in Jesus. You're a new person. You have new life. And then you have a new identity now found in him. We are his followers. That's the same word you I am. Not just New Testament dudes called disciples. We are called disciples. It simply means follower, trained follower of Jesus. So my identity is not what nation I'm from. My identity is not what sports teams I like. You think how our nation is so tribal right now. With so many like, what team are you on? And what tribe are you from? What, what, what group do you belong to? Y'all, Colossians, this book of Colossians in the New Testament, chapter one and verse 16. Speaking of our Lord Jesus, It says, Jesus made all things. I love this. I love this. I love this. Jesus made all things by himself and for himself. Say it again. Jesus made of the Godhead, the Father allowed Jesus to be the creator, which is awesome. It's John's gospel, chapter one, Ephesians chapter one, Colossians chapter one. Of the Godhead, the Father let Jesus be the one to speak the worlds into existence, which makes total sense to me. If he's the judge of all, what gives him the right? Well, he's the creator of all. Makes sense? And then he was the one who would be the rescuer of all when we rebelled against him. So here's the one, Jesus, that makes all things, I love this, by himself and for himself. My identity is, comes from the one who made me, not what clothing I wear, what sports teams I like, what group I belong to. My identity comes from the one who made me. And then it says, who made him by himself and made us for himself. And that gives me a sense of purpose. When I tap in to what Jesus has for me to do, that comes freedom. Now I'm free to do what he's called me to do. So many high schoolers are just spooking and freaking out. Like, what am I supposed to do in life? Just give it over to the king. He will tell you what you're supposed to do. I don't know what school. Do I even go to school? Do I go to college? Do I join this? Do I what? He will tell you. If he truly is the leader, he'll let you know. 
Well, I want him to tell me right now, in his time, he'll tell you. Sometimes he seems quiet. He's not playing games. He's just trying to make sure you trust him. Lean into him. Listen to him. He's in you. He'll tell you. So Jesus makes us by himself and for himself. My identity is in him. That should set you free. So I'm trying to give my life to please all my friends. What happens when your friends leave you? There goes your identity. You're a jock. Well, great. I was too. Past tense. Past tense. So if I'm the athlete that can't let it go, every NFL player wants to get a job at the NFL network. Because their identity, I said every, I'm goofing off with, okay? But so many of these guys just want to stay in the game because their identity, since they were little kids, has always been, I play and I play well. What happens when they can't play well? Their identity is in playing sports. Does this make sense to you guys? So when that's no longer part of the deal, my identity is stripped. I'm so glad my identity is not in you liking me. Or in me liking me, my identity is in the one who made me, who never will let me go, and who will always love me, no matter how much of a bonehead I am. He still loves me. That frees me. I hope this is connecting. We're going to say these out loud together. You ready? Here we go. Our new identity is in him. Our new destiny is to be with him. Our new priority is to love him. And last one, our new responsibility is to obey him. I was looking through my notes this afternoon, and I was like, I gotta, this just came to me like right out of the oven. I just wrote this one this afternoon. I'm going to have you all say this with me again, okay? Our new identity is in him. Our new destiny is to be with him. By the way, where is that? Heaven, okay? Our new destiny, heaven, is to be with him. Our new priority is to love him. Our new responsibility is to obey him. Back to Peter. Jesus is the hero of the story, but Peter is the one whose story we're looking at. So the question about Peter, is did Peter really surrender to Jesus? Well, yeah. Salvation, when Jesus said, hey, drop the nets, come follow me, that was his salvation. That's when Peter went, I believe in the things of God. I believe in God. I'm looking for the Messiah. Messiah comes to him and says, follow me. Ah, I'm now on team Jesus. So his salvation, yes. Then Peter, as he traveled for two plus years with Jesus, still was up and down. We looked at that the other night. He's still back and forth. We looked at yesterday, last night over in the gym, even after Jesus denies, or pardon me, Peter denies Jesus, Jesus then regroups with him and asks him, how many times do you love me? Do you remember? I'm doing this with my hand. How many? Three. He denied Christ three times. Jesus asked him three times. Do you love me? Does anyone remember what then Jesus said? Do you love me? He goes, yeah. And then what, what did Jesus say? Go feed my sheep. Remember, thank you, girl. He was a fisherman. It wasn't just him and his pops going fishing. He was going back to his old job. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. I called you to go feed God's sheep. Go shepherd. That's the word for pastor, by the way. Go shepherd. And Jesus says again, do you love me? Yes. 
and go feed my sheep <laughs> three times. And we don't have at the end of John chapter 21, when Jesus lays out this story through the gospel of John, we don't have Peter going, okay, I get it. I'm a bonehead. He, we don't have him saying that. We don't know if Peter followed through. But yet we do. So what we're going to do in this time I have, we're going to take a, what I call jet ski look, a quick look, a jet ski look through the beginning of the book of Acts. Because the main character in the book of Acts, the first number of chapters is Peter. From chapter 12 through the rest of the book of Acts is Paul. But for the first 10 to 11 chapters, Peter is the kind of the main character. And we're going to look at five things really quick where we see Jesus flip his life. The old Peter, the new Peter. So while we don't necessarily have Peter saying, okay, that was me, I was a bonehead, you know, and yet we see Peter getting it, surrendering, because we see the evidence of the surrender in his life. First one, Acts chapter one. We see Peter is patient. And we're not going to take the time, oh, I wish we could, just to read God's precious word. But as you, as you look at these, these, these verses, at least where it's at, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. See, Jesus, this is the passage where he goes back up to be into heaven with his father. But before he leaves, he says, you guys stay here. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon all of you who are my disciples, then you go into all the world and make other disciples. He goes, but don't go yet until the Holy Spirit comes. Here's the quick. Jesus goes up in the sky. They're like, what? They just saw this happen. They go back to the upper room. It's the apostles, their wives, it says, and other friends. There's 120 squeezed in. We got about 140 in here right now. Okay? There's about 120 in this upper room. And they're praying and they're worshiping, they're hanging out, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Show patience. He was always the anxious one. In this case, you see on the screen, the old Peter, he would have jumped. and been like, hey, guys, we need to be stopped waiting for this Holy Spirit. I'm not even sure what that even is. Let's just go make disciples of all the nations. But this Peter says, nope, we're going to obey Jesus. We're going to wait. You guys see that? That's a changed or surrendered life. I'm now obeying God. Second of all, he then, as the Holy Spirit does come on the early church, Peter goes out and he preaches. And there's all these people who are Jewish. Do this with your hand. On your wrist. It means by blood. So they're born Jewish. They're Jewish by blood. But they're living, hopefully you have some pulse, right? But they're living in other nations. So they're coming home for this Jewish holiday and as they're all from all these different nations coming into Jerusalem to do a pilgrimage, okay, Peter then sees them all and he preaches that our Messiah has now come. His name is Jesus. They're out of town. They don't have the news channels and the Twitter feeds like we think of today. They've been living hundreds of miles away. This was just less than two months earlier. Jesus dies. So this is all news to them and all brand new news to them. He goes, our promised Messiah has come and he was crucified. 
Just like in the Old Testament, it was prophesying, Isaiah 53, other scriptures, prophesying the crucifixion of the Messiah. And he's now risen. He's gone back to the Father. Repent, meaning stop trying your works. Just put your trust in Jesus for salvation. And they actually stopped his sermon. And they're like, okay, we get it. We'll repent. What do we do? He says, believe in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. What I love about this is you never see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you never see Peter quoting scripture. Never. But in this sermon, he is like a Bible machine. Ah, a changed life. I never talk about the Bible. I just talk about my feelings and my opinions. A changed life. But the word of God says, isn't this awesome? This is a change, a surrendered life. There's freedom in that. Third area. Very next chapter, as Peter and a guy named James, they're, they're heading into the temple. Three o'clock was the time of prayer. They would head in, and as they're going into the time of prayer in the temple, there's this man over here. He's, he's crippled. He's on the ground. He's on the floor. And he's got the old alms, alms, you know, looking for some change. Okay, you guys have seen him, Target, Walmart, wherever. People looking for change. And he, he's this crippled man. It says, crippled from birth. Now, remember I told you two nights ago the story. When they were going to Jairus' daughter, the religious leader, they were going to heal, Jesus was going to heal the young girl. But that woman walked by and touched his garment. You guys remember that story? She's kind of a poor woman. And Peter was like, come on, keep moving, keep moving. You see the switch now? Here's in the same situation, someone who's desperate, who's poor, and instead of like blowing by him, he stops. And he, the guy's like, please, give me some money. He goes, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it said the man leaped. Now, time out. When your leg has fallen asleep, if you try to get up, you kind of get that like cramp or something. It's like, I'm trying, dude. I'm trying. Come back to life, bro. Work with me, leg. Work with me. You know, it's early in the morning. It's like, oh, I just can't do it. Or is it just because I'm in my 50s? Maybe you guys have the same thing. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But to have someone who's never walked before, stand up and leap up, and then it says, and he danced. I don't know what kind of, a, what he was doing, if he's doing one of these things. I don't know what he was doing, but he was doing it, okay? He was dancing around. It got people's attention. Look at that. The old Peter didn't seem to demonstrate compassion, but the new Peter, he demonstrated compassion. Compassion. Come on, y'all, this preaches. This is the new Peter, so did we see evidence of surrender? Do we see freedom? I say, uh-huh. A few more. Moving on through the book of Acts. Same chapter. This draws the attention of a crowd. Well, of course it does. These people have passed this dude all the time. It's the same dude. It's been there for years. The crowd sees it, gathers around. This now gives Peter opportunity to start talking. And he then begins to preach again. And now he is pursuing people that need Jesus. And there's something I thought about when I wrote this. Please look at that last bullet point. In the Gospels, we never see Peter 
bringing somebody to Jesus. His kid brother, Andrew, every time we see Andrew's name written in the New Testament of him doing something, there's one thing Andrew always does. He always brings somebody to Jesus. You ever heard the story about the little boy had the five loaves and two fish? You ever heard that story? No. Who's the apostle that brought that little boy to Jesus was Andrew. So his kid brother, his younger brother, was always bringing people to Jesus. Peter never brought someone to Jesus. But in this case, Peter is now pointing people to Jesus. I want you to stop thinking just about Peter, and I want you to think about you. Am I having compassion for people? Am I using the word of God? Am I pointing people to Jesus? Evidence of a surrendered life, my freedom, shows a change. Now we see Peter proclaiming. Then it not only gets the attention of the crowd, but the same religious group of 70 men who just two months earlier, just think of a timeline. This is end of July, end of May. Just think two months earlier, for us, end of July. Just something two months ago, end of May. It's that fresh. This group of 70 religious leaders had Jesus murdered. The 12 were hiding for their lives, upper room. Jesus resurrects. They see him. Evidence is there before their face. They get it. It's real. Jesus goes back up to be with the Father in heaven. They're told, wait for the Holy Spirit. The church is born. That same group of 70 men call in Peter, James, John. They call in these guys into their court. And they tell them, what authority are you going around talking about? And please hear me. They won't even say, their hatred for Jesus is so strong, they don't even say his name. It's like the person that goes, well, you know, him. They hate him so much. They won't even say the name Jesus. By what authority are you going around healing that man? By what authority? And they say, we're commanding you to not even speak his name. They wouldn't even say the name Jesus. That's how much they hated him. I love Peter's response. He says in chapter 4, verse 12, that they have to speak the name of Jesus. And here's why. He said, salvation, anybody heard this verse before? Is found in no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. You can't shut Jesus up. You can't shut me up talking about Jesus. And they beat the mess out of him. They beat him up and they sent him back home. Now they got a choice. Shut up or keep speaking. And as they go back to their family and their friends, the church was praying for them. And you see this? You see, the old Peter ran away and denied, I don't even know the blankety blank. Jesus swore and cursed, it said, in the Gospels. In this case, he said, you can't shut me down talking about Jesus. That's the new Peter. And then we see as they get back to the church, the church have been praying. Something else I wanted to point out to you guys, the last bullet point, we never see, G, never see Peter in the Gospels praying. 
When Jesus actually, the night of his arrest, says, please pray, Peter falls asleep. The one time Jesus needs them to pray for him, he said, guys, please pray for me. He comes back and they're sleeping. We never see Peter praying in the Gospels. Here, we see Peter praying. So again, that's a cool story, Rich. Thank you for the story about Peter. Now don't think Peter, now think you. Jesus wants to transform your life. When you come to put your faith in Christ, you're a new creation. Your identity is I am a follower of God. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am in Christ. As his life is surrendered and he finds the freedom in life that only Jesus can provide, the question is this, how does Peter finish? You see, that story I just mentioned to you is right after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, A.D. 30. 30 plus years later, Rome has a new emperor. His name is Nero. He's the one that created the insane bloodbath against Christianity and against Christians. He took Christians, strapped them to poles, poured hot wax over their bodies, and burned them alive as living candles in his gardens. He's the one who started the whole Colosseum thing about bringing people out. And I won't go into detail what those animals did to those living Christians. That was Nero. Peter, 30 years earlier, said, you're not taking Jesus because my Jesus is going to get rid of you, Rome. And he takes the sword and does what? Chops off. He went for the head. Guy obviously ducks, gets the ear. 30 years later, to a Roman Empire that is burning Christians alive, he says, respect and honor the king. Let that sink in. 30 years earlier, Peter is arguing about who's going to sit next to Jesus in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, do not lord it over people as the Gentiles. Don't try to be their boss. Just serve people. 30 years later, Peter writes to the other pastors, do not lord it over the people, these preachers that sometimes think they're all that. Preachers should just be humble. Preach God's word, love God's people, and be humble. You guys seen the transformation of Peter here? It's like a new dude. So let's put this together. Life is messy, has chaos. Is what it is. We're all going to deal with a power struggle in our lives. We must surrender. We must surrender to let Jesus rule our lives. And out of that surrender comes the freedom. Comes the freedom that he brings. But I want to be honest with you folks. Look at this, please. When you surrender, there's no guarantee your chaos goes away. Some preachers talk about when you receive Jesus, he's going to make you rich. He's going to give you cool cars and you're going to get better grades and a hot girlfriend or whatever. Guys, come on. Jesus was crucified. Paul had his head cut off. Peter was crucified upside down. So this idea of you come to Jesus, your life's all happy is not in the Bible. Jesus will give you joy, never promised happy. He absolutely promised joy. 
I want to be fair with you. The Bible never says your chaos will leave. But what it does say is he'll be with you in your chaos. And he'll give you the strength in the chaos to get through it. Sometimes your chaos may go away. Sometimes it doesn't. But in the midst of it, he will be with you. Last slide. Last slide. Have you trusted Jesus? Because surrender comes with trust. If I'm going to surrender, I'm going to trust you're going to come through with your promise. Have you trusted him for salvation? Have you trusted him in your situations? Tantor, Mano. You know him as Tantor. I know him as this young man that loves Jesus that I've known for three years. He was in my introduction to youth ministries called Survey of Youth Ministries class a couple years ago. And after class, we were hanging out and he told me his story, just like Toby Mack shared his story. And you told me your story of growing up in a home that there's love, but I would call this the none category. You, you check in a box, um, am I Christian, Islam, a Hindu, what's your faith? None. That's his background. He grew up where they would say none, atheist. So you all of a sudden become buddies early high school with, of all persons, uh, the youth pastor's son that you were in school with. And he starts like hanging out with you and you're with him and sure to have you a little weird. I mean, here's this like Jesus freak. Yeah, it was a little weird. It's like, uh, I met him in fifth grade first. Um, didn't like him at first because uh, he was a Christian. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, I thought he was just weird. Uh, he was like nice to people. Kind of freaked me out. Um, so wait, wait, say that again. He was what? He was nice to people, which okay. kind of freaked me out. Um, so we didn't really start hanging out until like seventh grade. Um, and that's when he invited me to go to, uh, we had like, we called the Elevate. Um, it was our middle school ministry. He was like, yeah, there's live music. And we just literally talked for like five minutes. And that's it. And then it's, it's over. And I was like, all right, it's cool. I'll go. Um, so I went to that a couple times. I made friends with his friends. And um, so that's why I just kept going. And my parents wouldn't drive me on Sunday mornings. So I would sleep over at his house on Saturday night. And I told myself that I was just going so that I could like hang out with him and his friends, who are now my friends, for the rest of the day, that Sunday, but really deep down, I feel like I was just actually learning about God. Uh, it wasn't until like 10th grade, being in my 10th grade year, that uh, we went on a retreat, fall retreat, and uh, it's the first time that I like truly understood the weight of like what Jesus did. So like I, I'd heard it because I've been going to church now for like two years, two and a half years. Um, it's the first time I like actually understood what exactly it meant and like that he did it for me specifically and like for all of us specifically um, that he was thinking about me um, and that's the first time I like took control of my life and I was like you know what like I need him in my life it's not just for salvation like yeah that's awesome it's a huge bonus like I'm not going to hell I'm going to heaven but it's also just the fact that like, I need someone to fall back on um, so he was my, my person to fall back on so you come to him, here we go again, the timeline, you start way over there, you're moving this way, and you come to put your trust in Jesus, 
to be the forgiver of your sins, the leader of your life. And then everything was happy. Yeah, um, there's usually a video explaining this, uh, but last night got like rained out, so here we go. Um, two weeks later, after the retreat, I, uh, I went back home, and uh, my mom is uh, an alcoholic. She's been an alcoholic since my sixth grade year. Um, and so that was just rough. Like, I was having to take care of my sisters all the time. I would, you know, go to work after school, work however long I could before I had to get back, um, just go buy groceries, whatever, take care of my family, and it was just rough. Um, but eventually, um, you know, I got saved, and I come back, and my mom is home, which is kind of a rarity. She's usually at rehab. She was home. Um, and I got in the car with her, and I forget where we were going, but uh, we came up to this, or I guess before that, just about a mile down the road, I realized she was drunk. She was going back and forth and not hitting her brakes when she should. She wouldn't let me out of the car. She kept speeding up. Uh, eventually came up to a red light, and uh, she wasn't stopping, so I screamed stop, and I like pressed on her leg to put, push the brake down. Um, but it, wasn't, it didn't matter, like it wasn't in time. We hit the front of the car, back of the car with the front of ours, um, plowed like four cars into the middle of the intersection at a red light. Um, and I just, I got out and I looked back in the car and like airbags had gone off so there's like a little bit of blood and windows are broken and she's mad, she's screaming, she's cursing. And I was like, all right, I'm not about to watch my mom get arrested, like I'm out of here. So I just ran about two miles home. Um, and as I'm walking in the door, I'm like fully expecting to just like punch a wall or like kick something. Um, it's just the way I've dealt with everything in the past before Jesus is just, I just get angry um, and upset. Like could, no one could talk me out of it and I just like wanted to sit in my anger. Um, so I was fully expecting to just be angry and like I'm ready for it. And I walk in and I just like stop and I think and like this huge weight of like just being out of control in a different way hits me. It's like, I don't need to have control of this. I don't need to be angry. God did this for a reason. Like something good is coming out of this. And all I think is, you know, no one died. Like my mom's gonna have to go get help now. My sisters weren't in the car. Like if I wasn't there, she'd probably be dead. All these things and all this stuff just starts coming into my mind. And now I'm here telling you guys about it, which is a blessing in itself. Um, I've been able to speak to a lot of people who've you know struggled with the same kind of stuff I struggle with, and it's just one blessing after another as I, as I go further in life, just one blessing after another of that, that hard time and that trial. But yeah, it's just, it's not, like, like Doc said, Jesus doesn't promise happy and, and good life, um, but he does promise blessings that come from it. What, what do you want to do? I want to be a youth pastor. Why? Um, I see a lot of, I mean, you guys live in a chaotic world just like adults do. This world's chaotic. You guys live in a chaotic world. Um, you guys have the whole idea of chaos, and yet feel like too many people too many times give you guys little bite-sized pieces of faith, and that's not what you guys need. And I know you guys can take a lot more. Um, so I just want to be a youth pastor to kind of give you guys the whole pie, because you guys need it, because you live in yep. a chaotic world. It's my last time to talk with you. I give you this. It's been given to us by God. Many of you go home and maybe your family's more like Jack's than maybe more like Sparrow, uh, more like uh, Tantor's than mine. I grew up in a preacher's home. Maybe you're from a preacher's home. 
Maybe you're from a home that's more of an atheist home. Maybe it's a home in between. I beg of you to find Christian friends. Even if you can't find Christian friends, find a great church that teaches this book. But there's something you have right now. It's this. And if you're in Christ, He is in you. I urge you to find a church that teaches God's word. Find great Christian friends like you had in high school. But you have this. You have a phone. You have an app. Get a Bible. Read it. Make this the habit of your life. And Jesus promised this truth will set you free. Lord, as we go to worship you now through song, as we've worshiped you through the word, let's stand together, folks. Let's give our heart's attention to the majestic Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.